Hey, if you love your local teams, maybe we have a podcast for one of them. Off the Pike is our Boston pod. The Ringers Philly special, New York, New York with John Jastrzemski and The Full Go with Jason Goff for Chicago. You can check all of them out on the Ringer Podcast Network. This episode of the Bill Simmons Podcast is presented by State Farm. If you've ever been in an accident and you're okay, but you know what happened? Your first reaction is going to be, man, why did that happen? If you ever buy a new house or a new car, or a new anything, there's this little rush you get when you're like, I did it. I made it happen. But really, the only words you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to help choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm, is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer partner of the NBA. It's just what you need to sit back and enjoy the game. And they're also getting fans closer to the game than ever. You can win exclusive NBA prizes like courtside seats, signed memorabilia, and more. I love Michelob because of how light it is. It's only 95 calories with 2.6 carbs. You know what the perfect time for Michelob Ultra is? A little doubleheader, a little NBA doubleheader. Right at first half of the first game. I don't know, West Coast time, that's usually about 5 o'clock, 5.30, perfect time for a beer. You can do it. Grab a pack to enjoy today. Learn more and enter for your chance to win at MichelobUltra.com slash courtside, LDA, 21 and up. We're also brought to you by the Ringer Podcast Network. Hope you're checking out our basketball and our football podcast, as well as some of our awesome culture podcasts. I haven't been on the last three rewatchables. We did Pitch Perfect, we did Glengarry, Glenn Ross, and then this week, we did Pineapple Express. Our fantasy football guys did that one, actually. So if you missed any of those, go check out the Rewatchables feed. Check out our NBA podcast as well. You have uh, the Ringer NBA show. You have the Mismatch. Ryan Rossillo is dipping into the NBA as well. And then the Ringer Gambling Show uh, has been diving into NFL and NBA as well. So that's all we got going on our end. Coming up on this podcast, Kevin O'Connor is going to join us. We're going to react to what we saw tonight in the NBA, Celtics, Sixers, Lakers, Warriors. And then after that, Ryan Fitzpatrick, he came on for the first time ever on this podcast. Wish we'd had him on sooner, but we talked a lot of NFL stuff. We talked Tom Brady. We talked a lot about quarterbacks. This is a great podcast, guys. I don't know what else I can tell you. First, our friends from Pro Tip. <laughs> All right, Kevin O'Connor is here. It is 10.15 Pacific time. We're here to talk about Bailey Zappi versus Mac Jones. I know you have a, Oh, no, no. Actually, it's going to be NBA opening night. <laughs> KOC, let's trade just abject, ridiculous, reckless overreactions to Sixers, Celtics, and Lakers, Warriors. I will give you first pick in the overreaction draft. You go. The Lakers... At best, without a major trade or the 10 seed. At best. Yeah, like At a best. fringe playing team. Yeah. At best. Because eight teams are going to be better than them for sure. Warriors, Nuggets, Grizzlies, Clippers, Suns, Mavs, Pelicans, Wolves. Then on the mismatch on Tuesday, 
Chris Vernon and I, you know, hyped up the Kings. We really like what we saw from them in preseason, the moves mm. they made. Blazers as of now, trying to win games with all the money they mm. spent this summer. I you could argue that they should go the other way, trade Damian Lillard, be worse, get higher draft odds in the Victor Wembanyama race. But as of now, they're trying to win. The Lakers right now, Bill, you need in the NBA to win today. You need shooters. You need wings. The Lakers have no spacing, no reliable shooters. Tonight, 10 of 40 from the floor, from three-point range, terrible for, uh, until that fourth quarter. And they have no wings in the scene. They're starting six foot one Patrick Beverly as a small forward. Lonnie Walker, a so-called 3 and D player, even though he doesn't shoot three well, threes well, doesn't defend well. Lakers ownership, like they've been questioned why they extended Palinga, why Jeannie Buss has decided to do that. It's right to question them considering the product we saw on the floor tonight. They've been questioned or they've been ridiculed why they extended Palenka. I was stunned. It's one of those teams when you actually watch it, you're preseason, you listen to podcasts, you watch the clips. But then when you actually see the team, it had a feel of a team that guys were out. And it's like, well, when they get so-and-so off the injured list and -and so-and-so off the IR, and it's like, no, no, this is actually the whole team. They started Beverly and Westbrook and Lonnie Walker the fourth. And then the five guys off the bench initially were Matt Ryan, Gabriel, Toscano, Anderson, Reeves, and Nunn. There's no help on the horizon. There's no free agent who's like going to be ready in December. This is the team. KOC, I, I, my overreaction on top of your overreaction, I think this is actually the worst three through 10 in the league. Mm. Who has a worst three through 10? Like, even if you go to the bad teams like OKC, San Antonio, um, maybe Charlotte. I don't know, name a team, I still might like their three three through 10 better. You could argue every single player three through 10 in the Lakers is below average. If we're just saying like average is what, the 150th best player in the league? Do they, is their third guy in the top 150? You could argue Westbrook, Reggie yeah, Miller certainly R- tried R- to tonight. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Russ is maybe like 120, 130, something like okay, that so, at this point of his so career. So let's call Wes, let's call him average. <laughs> yeah. And maybe on a nice day, you could call Beverly average. I think he's like an eighth or a ninth man on the right team. But it was funny hearing Reggie Miller do the whole, you know, say what you want about Russell Westbrook. Uh, you know, he did average an 18-7-7 last year. You know, he plays with a lot of heart. You know, the Lakers fans maligned this guy, but, uh, you know, he's out there and he beats to his own drum. Play, play, played 78 games. Yeah, that's yeah. one of the played reasons why games. <laughs> he's got two legs and two arms and a head. Um, it's really bad. It's just hard to believe because they had their full mid-level. They had a couple side levels. They had the THT contract that was like 10 million that was like at least a little tradable. I just don't know how they didn't do better than this. I mean, the, the thing with them is at this point, you look at the team, what we saw in preseason, what we saw tonight, and what we just saw on paper, what was kind of obvious all along here. A Russell Westbrook and two first-round picks deal for Miles Turner and Buddy Heald, that helps you, that makes you more watchable, but that doesn't solve all their issues. It doesn't solve all the shooting problems, all the, the defensive issues at the wing position. So if you're the Lakers, you have Russ, and I, I, think, I think despite no matter how average or below average this team might be from now until February 9th, the trade deadline, I think they got to wait as long as they can to trade Russ rather than make a panic move for Turner Agreed. and Heald. You got you, you to find yeah. out where it comes up. It could be Hayward and Rozier yeah. and you only might need one pick to get rid mm-hmm. of something like that. And then you I hold that other you. one for something else and you make two separate trades and then your team suddenly looks better than settling now for Turner and Heald. 
And maybe you end up getting them for less than one first. Maybe it's one first and a bunch of seconds. Like the Sixers, three through 10 guys. Maxi, Tucker, Harris, Niang, House, Harrell, Thibel, and Melton. What a difference. I think you could argue all of those guys would be the Lakers' third best player. <laughs> Maybe Nang versus Westbrook. I don't know. But Nang, like for <laughs> what the Lakers need. Russ. You're yeah, taking Russ it, over Nang. <laughs> yeah, but for what the Lakers need. Sure. Celtics, they're, uh, they're three through 10. Taking out Tatum Brown. Horford, Smart, White. Grant Williams, Brogdon. Then it goes into the Hauser, Griffin, Vonley. But all of those guys probably would have played for the Lakers tonight. I uh, I don't know what the moves are. I'm with you, though. You can't panic yet. Plus, Davis looked great. And they're going to win their fair share, I think, to at least not dip too far. I don't think they're in danger of being like a 15 and 30 type team. They'll, they'll hang around if those two guys are healthy. Um, I picked them. I picked them to go over because I thought the panic trade was coming sooner than later. And I think, let's say they start out one and six, something like that. The difference this year is I think LeBron knows that this title has sailed for this season, which is what leads me to my overreaction, my first one. So LeBron was 23 to one on FanDuel to win the scoring title. I actually think that's a great bet from what Mm. I saw tonight because I think he's going to kind of quickly move into, you know what? We don't have it this year. I'm going to score some points. I'm going to break the record. I'm going to get my 30 a game. I'm going to try to get to like 65 games and get to 30 to 32 a night. They See how fast they're playing? They're playing with pace in the fourth quarter. If they play with that kind of pace, A, I don't know if Davis is even going to be able to hold up, but if they do, I do think he's going to score points. What do you think of that one? I think he. we definitely saw him stat padding tonight. That's for damn sure. Um, I mean, I think LeBron's smart enough to realize this team's not good enough. And without some major surprise trade, they won't be good enough, you know, no matter what they're doing. Turner Heald's not going to get him there. So if you're LeBron, you're, you know, you're thinking about yourself right now and you're thinking about your numbers and your place in history and you get that done and then you reassess next summer. And, and, and that's the other side of it. If you're Le- LeBron, you did sign that extension. You were not trade eligible this season. Like even if you decided you wanted out, that have yep. to wait until next summer. I mean, the conspiracy theorists inside of me wonder if Rob Polinka. I mean, he's either the worst GM in all of basketball or he deliberately built a roster so bad around LeBron that he's trying to push him to ask out after the season, knowing there's no path to winning again with him anymore. Like it's, it's one of the two things. Like This roster is so bad around him. If you're LeBron, unless you don't care about winning at all anymore, you're past that championship chase. I, I, I don't see how you can... When you're LeBron and you're still playing at the level that you can, it's almost it's disappointing to me in a way, Bill, that we are at that stage where he's stat padding and he's still not competing because he's still a player worthy of contending for championships. He just has the worst three to through to ten around him, as you just said. Yeah, I made this point last year when Curry was making the Warriors run, but it's worth mentioning again just that he kind of did have the pieces for his version of what this Curry Warriors team is right now. You know, like this mix of vets and young guys on the rise. You look back at that 2018 team, that first Lakers team that he was on. Kuzma. And they did have a lot Caruso. of pieces. Oh, yeah. Brandon Ingram and yeah. Hart and Lonzo's on there. And they had all the draft picks, right? They had every draft pick coming. They had a lottery pick in the draft that was coming. Uh, Lonzo's the only one just from a health standpoint that I think you'd maybe be worried about. But for the most part, they had most of those players. I don't see a lot of outs for them. I didn't see it before the season. I thought them as a play-in team was a great bet. I think it was like, it's either minus 120 or plus 120. It was somewhere on even odds. But it just, 
I thought I think Dallas is going to be a playing team. The West, like their top seven, eight. If you think New Orleans is going to be good, which I think we do, and if you think Sacramento is going to be sneaky, which I think all of us at the Ringer who follow basketball, we all love this Kings team to the point that I'm actually probably scared for the Kings now. But <laughs> I, to me, the Lakers are the tenth best roster, no matter how good Davis is. One thing that's on the Davis front is just the trade possibilities with them. Um, if if he just looks great for a month. Could they look at that as a way, you know what? It's not going to work with this combo. We won the title. We got what we wanted. Maybe we send him and we try to rebuild, replenish, and we could deal with LeBron in the offseason would be the other thing. It's I possible. Mean, that, that, that definitely could be a path that makes sense because if, if we saw what teams were offering for Kevin Durant, and granted, no deal ended up happening, if the Lakers were to put LeBron James on the block or AD on the block before the deadline, well, it can't be LeBron. It has well, no, to be, can't Davis be LeBron. This yeah, LeBron, yeah, LeBron. It would be AD before the deadline. Le- before the deadline, LeBron for the summer. Yep. Either of those guys on the block, you're getting a, a massive haul in return for them. And then suddenly you get this young up and coming roster. You get your own first round draft pick in 2024. You can you know try to hit on that, build a young team, and try to do it in a way that doesn't involve LeBron making uh, decisions or pushing for decisions in the front office. Well, this leads to one more overreaction, then I'll throw it back to you for the next one. Snake draft. <laughs> I'd be really worried about the Wembenyama scoot picks if I'm a Lakers fan. Oh. Because this team, what yeah. we saw tonight, is now if Davis goes out for like 25 games and LeBron plays 65 games at 82, something like that, this will be potentially a top seven worst team. <laughs> this is if the injury luck swings against them. Where you don't want to be is like in the worst seven because then the odds are actually realistic, especially with the two top ones. And if that all leads to that Lakers pick, basically the reverse of the Magic Johnson pick, which they got in the Gail Goodrich, the Jazz signed Gail Goodrich, the Lakers get these two picks down the road for him, one of who turns out to be Magic Johnson. And this could be the New Orleans flip of that way down the line where that Wembenyama or uh, or Scoot all of a sudden go into New Orleans as part of the Davis trade, and we're not even done with the picks for the Davis <laughs> trade. I mean, I mean, I had uh, the Pelicans are one of the big winners of the night on my list for the same exact reason. Because, oh yeah, because like even even if that pick is only you know ten or eleven, and, and that's all it is, you still get a, another lottery pick if you're New Orleans with this great great young team already. That that in and of itself is a winner. Never mind if, like you said, the the eighty thing tonight. AD looked tremendous. He looked like his prime self on defense. That block he had on Wiseman coming up from behind in the first half was just absolutely filthy. He what about the midcore the- play when he jumped up for oh, the steal? Filthy. He, he lost weight. He was too heavy yeah. last year. He put on too much muscle. He's athletic AD again. He looked tremendous, but as the broadcast said, every time he hits the floor, if you're a Lakers fan, you're worried that he's going to get up holding his knee or his wrist or his neck, whatever. He's yeah. made of glass. And so, I mean, the Lakers are holding on to that play in hope you know, on a very thin string. You know, you mentioned the Pelicans being a winner, and I think I think, I think, think we hit that hard enough, and it's a great point. One thing about that pick, though, because we both think the Pelicans are going to be good. Barkley seemed to think that they had a chance to make the West Finals or the Finals, which I, I thought so. was a tiny bit ambitious. You, that, you hear me say that on the mismatch? You think I'm crazy, Bill? I don't think you're crazy because we know that Zion, if he's at full strength is a top 15 player in the league. We saw it a couple years ago. So that it's, it's that, but also the trade possibility because the Pelicans have 10 plus first round draft picks. So do the Jazz and the Thunder, but the Jazz and the Thunder aren't trying to win games. The Pelicans are. So New Orleans can pick and choose whoever they want to try to get. 
that might become available to bolster the team too. So that I was that's what I was going to point out. It's not just a trade possibility. It's this specific Lakers pick. Oh yeah. As a trade possibility and if you're them, you can start dangling it now or like, you know, within the next 2 months. They have I guess the Devontae Graham contracts 11.5 million. Um they could that Valanciunas maybe for fourteen seven if it was a big guy coming back. They've Jackson Hayes at about seven. They could patch together something for a salary in the twenties or the thirties, and that's a dangle. And especially if AD goes out, if AD's down rather around the floor one night and he's out for twenty games, and I'm a team that has things, I just want picks. I want to sell sell high basically on one of my vets. I want that pick. That's a different kind of pick than your normal pick because normally you don't, you aren't able to trade for a tanking first round pick when you're giving up a veteran, right? You're getting a first. You're not getting a pick that you know is going to be like in the top eight. So I think that's going to be a factor. Sure. And and then I know I said earlier that the Lakers, if they were to trade everybody, would have their 2024. The, the reality is, is they have their 24 or 25. So the Pelicans on their side of things have the next year they pick can game to it. deal. Yeah. Yes. Like they can dangle that as well. Where it's like, well, you get your choice. You can take the Lakers in twenty four or twenty five, so I mean, like they they have they they don't they believe I believe they have the the Bucks pick you know in twenty six and twenty seven as well. They have all What's of their, their own is there swap picks. stuff? Yeah, there's some swaps. I believe they have one Bucks swap, one out two outright Bucks picks as well coming. Um, so they have a they have an absolute ton of picks. Yeah, because Pelicans versus Lakers, the Pelicans are probably a better bet to have a better record for the next couple of years. So I don't even know how the swap helps them because. They'd be swap. Oh no! I, I think I think the no, last does swap is them. this year. So the Lakers and Pelicans swap this year, right? So that would help them this year. Yeah, I don't know what I'm saying, Kyle. Let's go to a break and I, and I'll have some coffee and try to regroup. <laughs> hey, basketball season started. It's the perfect time to download FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get a no sweat first bet up to one thousand dollars free bets back if your first bet doesn't win. Sign up with promo code BS. You can dive into Wednesday night of the NBA season. Utah, Denver, Denver Nuggets, 11 plus. Jokic to score 20 plus points, 12 plus rebounds, six plus assists. You make that a same game parlay plus 314. I would recommend it. FanDuel has tons of betting options for each game. Live betting, updated odds on games that already started. And again, the new live same game parlays you can do you can add to that Jokic thing as it's happening. Sign up today with promo code BS for your no sweat first bet. Make every moment more this season with FanDuel. By the way, your official sportsbook partner of the NFL, FanDuel, must be 21 plus in select states. First online real money wager only. Refund issued as non-withdrawable free bets that expire in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. This episode is brought to you by Simply Safe. Summer is all about fun vacations, but I know that being away from home can be stressful. So many things can happen. That's why I like to recommend Simply Safe, a award winning security that can help give you peace of mind when you're away. The only thing you should worry about while you're on vacation is having too much fun. Having my home, it's great. Couldn't work better. I think Simply Safe is the best because it comes with a variety of indoor and outdoor cameras, sensors to detect break ins, fires, floods, and more. It's backed by 24-7 professional monitoring for less than a dollar a day. It's given me, my family, many others, real peace of mind. I'm waiting to have it too. Try it out. A 60-day money-back guarantee. No contracts right now. Get 20% off any Simply Safe system with Fast Protect Monitoring 
That's simplysafe.com slash BS. That is simplysafe with two S, simplysafe.com slash BS. There's no safe like Simply Safe. All right, coming back. Next overreaction, what do you got? If all teams in the Eastern Conference are healthy, the Sixers, as presently constructed, have a 0% chance of winning the NBA Finals. And I'm saying that as somebody who I loved the Harden deal. I loved what Maury did this summer, getting Tucker, Melton, House, Harrell, all those guys. But Harris, Maxi, Harden in your starting five, not good enough on defense. Embiid in tonight's game against the Celtics playing the deep drop coverage, really passive, deeper than last year. Doesn't seem like the right scheme for that defense for Doc Rivers to run. And Tobias Harris, most of all, just not a great fit. I know he didn't have the worst night, just not good enough on defense. Misses rotations, not a not a stopper on ball. And offensively, I think he's a very replaceable guy for given his role, even though he can do more. The, the offense doesn't demand that out of him. I do worry a little bit about that Sixers defense tonight. They they talked about wanting to be number one. That's what Embiid said at Media Day. They've been preaching Ridiculous. defense. They're not going to be the number How one. How are you going to be defense. number one with Maxine Harden as your backcourt? Get the fuck out of here. There's no way. Um, I'm not going to overreact to that to tonight's game for them because I think Boston, as presently constituted, is a bad matchup for them. They are. Where with the wings and the size they have um, on the perimeter and the guards that they can throw it hard in and just I don't love the matchup. And you would have, to me, Embiid had to destroy the Celtics tonight. Um, but the Celtics, Missoula, who I thought did a great job and broke the gum chewing record. I don't know who it was held by, but <laughs> he was smacking gum at warp speed on the sideline. But he was just telling him, run, 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 run. It reminded me of that Brooklyn game after the Harden trade last season when um, you could, when Brooklyn really laid it to the Sixers. And they were just like, run, run, run. Get these guys tired. Embiid was doing the thing in the fourth quarter. He had his hands on his knees again. You know, and and then he got, talk about stat padding at the end. That game was over and he ended up getting like six more points. But I don't love the matchup for them. I'm not ready to panic yet. Harris is more tradable this year than he was last year. 37.6 this year and then 39.2 next year. That's it. They don't have a lot of pick flexibility. But, you know, I, I, I have a feeling... The team we watch tonight won't be the team they have in February. I'm going to throw this overreaction back at you. FanDuel should have Mike D'Antoni coach of the year odds up. Mm. Because I think I, I've said this before the season and I'm going to say it again. The leash is short. The way they look tonight looked like same old Sixers, super slow, bad transition defense, uh, offense getting bogged down. I didn't love the body language. I thought Harden actually looked pretty good for what we're going to expect from Harden. I thought that was on the higher end of what you're getting. But I've said it for four months. If this team is like eight and eight after 16 games or eight and nine or whatever, slow start, that's it. They're going to make coaching change. It's going to happen. And they go straight to D'Antoni and not Sam Cassell off their bench. Yeah, well, whoever it is. But I, I would assume it would be D'Antoni just because of the familiarity with Harden and the fact that he's coached in a bunch of big games over like handing it over to an untested head coach, right? During a season. Don't you go with the steady hand? No? Maybe. I don't know. You think I it's mean, Cassell? I, I, I just think that'd be such a huge chemistry shift mid-year to bring in D'Antoni to a team with Embiid They didn't want to bring Doc back last spring. No, Th they Nobody didn't. remembers no. this, that it was a staring contest well, with the Lakers, knowing the Lakers wanted to hire Doc. Sixers wanted compensation for him, and they just kind of looked at each other for eight weeks. Nothing happened. 
it, it felt like Doc was trolling tonight when he threw out the Harold Niang lineup. Yeah, and, and and like where's Thibel? I like I know Thibel has his limitations, Ridiculous. but but you're facing two great wing scorers and Tatum and Brown, and you're not putting him out there. And also, I I think you get a Maxi had some great moments in that first half. He whether it's Harden's fault or Doc's fault, I don't know. But you got to get this guy some more consistent touches. He only ran 15 pick and rolls tonight. That's not enough for him, given his talent level we've seen. Getting to the basket, pulling up from three, you got to get him more reps in PNR. This isn't an overaction. It's just a question. Are we sure Maxie's not the second best player in the team? I think I, I think Harden is still, because of his playmaking and scoring upside, the number two. But Maxie can be the number two on any given night. I think that's a fair thing to say. And maybe by year's end, if he gets opportunity and gets a higher usage and he gets more of those on-ball opportunities to prove what he can do with it, then yeah, I think he could be the second best player. But given that, the fact that we haven't seen it yet, I don't think we can go that far yet. Harden's defense is, continues to be abominable. Well, how many times did he just kind of like, you know, let just him go abominable. right behind transition tonight? Oh my God, yeah. it, was, it was such a layup for the Celtics. Yeah, just no, 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 no chance you're going to be the number one defense with that effort. My overreaction, Raheem Palmer called this out in the uh, Ringer Gambling Show. And, and he has this whole model for MVP and looks at like age ranges and um, he has a whole thing that it's usually under 30 and the guy's at a specific point. And he thought the best value bet was Tatum at 13 to one. Tatum looked incredible tonight. And, you know, he looked like the guy from the net series and March, April Tatum as a two way guy. It wasn't just the ease that he was scoring the defense. If he plays defense like this, like he did tonight for the whole season, he will be on the all defensive team that he was borderline dominant on defense. And I think in general, the team defense without Robert Williams, I was pleasantly surprised by. But Tatum as a 13 to one, I, I think the odds should be a little lower on that one. And in general, like the Celtics are going to be good. He's going to be one of the seven or eight best players in the league. And he wasn't really mentioned at all in the conversation. He was absolutely sensational. I mean, I think in the finals, he at times looks more like a number two than a number one. Yeah, um, but we saw like a large sample size during that postseason run, during you know the regular season, not just this year, past year, but past years as well. Tatum has that upside to be a top five, top six, top seven player in the NBA. And you're right, Bill. Like the defensive effort by him tonight, I thought he set a tone right from the jump in the game. Early, yeah. early in the game, he hit that three, and then he blocked Maxi after a switch on that dribble handoff. Philly ran for him and. And Tatum screamed his lungs out after the play. I felt like he was setting a, a tone for Boston with his vocal. Vo, with, he was vocal with his actions. Whereas Embiid, you mentioned some of the body language. He was mopey, moody, looked tired. Uh, yeah, tired, sweaty. He didn't have sweaty a, and he, kind of heaving. Even he, he didn't have much of a preseason, so you kind of can excuse that. But at the same time, like you still get to set a tone on opening night. Celtics guys the, looked like they'd been working out for oh, yeah. four straight months. They had that a fitness to them. There's turn the turn the TikTok camera on Kyle. There was a moment in the Celtics game when Embiid got caught up with Smart, and it looked like he was trying to break his arm, Dwayne Wade style. I call it the Dwayne Wade. Nobody nobody did more dastardly dirty stuff than Dwayne Wade, but never oh, got any credit for that it. That play against Rondo, so oh nasty. my god, yeah. Filthy. So Embiid's been in Smart's thing back. Jalen Brown came flying in to defend him. I thought he was actually going to fight Embiid. Then he did like a finger point thing. I thought it was an important moment. And here's why. They got their asses handed to them a little bit by P.J. Tucker and Butler last year from a physicality intimidation standpoint. Then Draymond in the finals, 
standing over Brown in game two, kind of flipped the state. They got bullied a little bit by Draymond, who then gloated about it when he did the podcast with JJ and Tommy over the summer about, you know, how he took, took Brown's manhood. I thought it was interesting that Brown stood up and smart and those guys, and they all got pretty aggro. And I was like, I wonder if there's going to be a post-game quote about this. Well, there was. Here's what Jalen Brown mm. said. This is what <laughs> Brian Robb reported on Twitter about Embiid. He was getting away with a lot of unnecessary pushing and shoving. It seemed like he was trying to hurt smart in a sense. We're not taking no mess this year. How about Boston the smart Celtics? quote? You see the smart quote? He, what he, he said? said? He said, it's maturity that I didn't crack his head open. <laughs> right? It reminded me of Rounders when the second time Mike McDee's playing Teddy KGB and he comes back hard with like a re-raise and Teddy KGB's like, he laughs. He's like, oh. Look at you. You won't be pushed around. And But I think the Celtics are in that phase. Like They're like, fuck everybody. We're not going to be bullied again. Like They definitely 100% saw that Draymond video. And I think this was a big thing for Ime when he was there during the season and probably before he got bounced in September. It's like, we have to be tougher. You guys got to stick up for each other. You guys got to defend yourselves. And I thought there was a little attitude with them this year that they didn't have. And part of that seasoning from the finals... Um, part of it's coming up short. Some of the quotes that Tatum had, I thought, in the Chris Mannix piece was really interesting about how bitter and angry he was that they lost. And, you know, I thought they were going to win tonight, but they they had a little edge to them that I don't feel like they had last year. Do you? No. I mean, we saw it and like they had that edge and they also just had the stability too. Like with Smart limiting turnovers, Brogdon limiting turnovers. They have like the, the ability to stay calm but also to get aggressive as you're talking about. like They they have both of those extremes that you see as a championship quality. And, and Boston had a little bit of it last year. They developed it after the new year. But I mean, for them to come out the way they did on opening night, that's very encouraging. I picked I picked Celtics Warriors to go to the finals again mm. and, and, and on the mismatch. But I think, and I picked Warriors to repeat and I'd stick with that. But at the same time, Boston, you project them forward, getting Robert Williams back some point during the season, adding him to this group with Brogdon and Smart and White, the, sta- the stable backcourt they have, they they can defend ha- anybody Hauser. and play. And, yeah, they, Hauser. <laughs> they didn't even see Luke Cornett tonight, Phil. Yeah, Hauser only three <laughs> minutes. My dad was devastated. He was really counting on him this year. Um, the, the Blake Griffin thing, it seems like he's going to play a little bit. They threw Vonley out there for 20 minutes. I'll be interested to see if that's the same case in you know, 50 games. But I think people probably overreact a little bit to the Gallinari injury. And I think they underreacted to how good Brogdon is when he's healthy. He was magnificent tonight. Just coming off the bench. When you think like how much trouble they had, what a tightrope it was if Brown and Tatum weren't out there or if you removed one of them and how delicate that had to be where you just like, they basically couldn't survive unless one of those guys was out there. And if Jalen was having one of his shitty halves, now you're going like, now you have no offensive creator. But now this Brogdon thing solved it. Tatum was out, I think, for almost six minutes in the fourth quarter. And they were plus three while he was out. That was not happening last year. And Brogdon, I noticed this during the preseason. We have no idea how many games he's going to play. Just full caveat. You could tell me he's going to only play a thousand minutes this year. You could tell me he's going to play 1800. I don't know. But dramatic difference. He's just, he's got more size than you realize too. He fits in with the, whole way that they can switch on D and he's just 
lights out shooter. He's just good at basketball. If they keep him on the court, huge addition. He's a stabilizer. Right? Like the, the types of pass he makes is it's immediate. It's instantaneous when he catches the ball and swings it around the court or his drives to the basket. It's in the shot pocket of a guy shooting a corner three. Like he is just such a good, just a straight up good player. He's good feeling the pick and roll. Like he, it looks like he's been with the team for a couple of years now. Yeah, uh, that's, that's the no way question. I put it. Yeah, but that's I mean, the, been, he was always a high IQ guy, right? I mean, the reason he fell yeah. was the medicals in the draft. That yeah. was the only reason. Yeah, that's the only reason. He would have been a higher pick if it weren't for the medicals. I like that they added a couple guys. And unfortunately, Gallinari is another one, but he got hurt. But these, these guys that also haven't tasted it yet. You know, Blake's another one. Blake, who's either at the very tail end of his career or the almost tail end of his career. But, you know, never got over the hump. Never was able to win a title. And is a great, I think it's funny because he was one of the most disliked players in the league at his prime, especially by other players. But now I think he's like a pretty well-liked veteran. He's respected. I think he's fitting great. I haven't heard anything other than great stuff about him behind the scenes. And he's just like that one more adult in the room. I was surprised that they didn't figure out the Grant Williams extension though. I thought that was going to be a layup. I saw the Brandon Clark, what did he get? 52 for four. And I figured, oh, that means Grant will get somewhere between 50 and 55 for four. And they didn't agree to it. They're going to roll it over to restricted free agency. It also makes him a possible trade candidate during the season because this will be the last season. It'll be really easy to trade for him. Were you surprised they didn't extend him? Not really. I mean, I think Grant wants to prove himself, judging from his quote afterwards. He, he said something about, you know, I don't want to, you know, ruin the market as, you know, a high guy high up in the NBPA. Not that he's necessarily a tone setter. Yeah, settle <laughs> down, Grant. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I do think Grant, he has shown some improvement as a ball handler. He does, he's used the, he showed that hesitation dribble in yep. preseason. Tonight, he had some nice uh, finishes around the basket. Grant, maybe he in the inside wants to prove himself that he can be more than just a, a spot-up shooter in the corner and a, and, a, and a great defensive player. Maybe he feels that he can prove more over the course of the season. So I understand mm. in a sense. Let's take uh, one more break and we'll do a couple more of our reactions. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer partner of the NBA. It's just what you need to sit back and enjoy the game. And they're also getting fans closer to the game than ever. You can win exclusive NBA prizes like courtside seats, signed memorabilia, and more. I love Michelob because of how light it is. It's only 95 calories with 2.6 carbs. You know what the perfect time for Michelob Ultra is? little doubleheader, little NBA doubleheader. Right? First half of the first game. I don't know. West Coast time. That's usually about 5 o'clock, 5.30. Perfect time for a beer. You can do it. Grab a pack to enjoy today. Learn more and enter for your chance to win at MichelobUltra.com slash courtside. LDA 21 and up. This episode is brought to you by Dr. Squatch. What you use in your personal care routine matters, so upgrade your lineup with Dr. Squatch. They have high-performing natural products with no harmful ingredients. That'll have you looking and smelling your best, like their wood barrel bourbon bar soap and lotion or their bay rum deodorant. They even have some limited edition soaps like their Avengers and Star Wars collections. Those seem like they'd be fun to try. And right now, they have an amazing offer for new customers. Get 20% off your first purchase of any amount or a subscription order by going to drsquatch.com slash Simmons or use the code Simmons at checkout. We didn't talk about the Draymond part of tonight. 
has a really super weird documentary. I, I don't even, it wasn't even a documentary. It was like an infomercial, <laughs> whatever the hell that was. It was propaganda. It was Draymond propaganda from the Propta Network. That and was so strange. 20 it, minutes of pregame to that. So weird. And then here was, I, I can't say he was super remorseful about the pool punch and it all led to the crux of this infomercial thing we had to watch where he justified where he sits now post-punch like this. Someone told me the world has been able to see one of your worst moments. Look at the upside now. And then he's like, it's a totally different way to look at it. It's like, what? <laughs> what? So you're saying you, you couldn't sink lower? So it's, there's, there's only one way to go from here? Fucking OJ th should have thought of that when he was during the trial. <laughs> hey, sorry, guys. There's only one way to go. But up for me. Um, I just thought the, it, the lack of remorse was almost strange. He had a little remorse at the press conference. But for the most part, it almost seems kind of pissed off that this became a thing. He was saying, I didn't realize it. I went home. I don't really check Twitter. I don't really look at comments. Well, you have a podcast. You don't look at comments at all. Um, I thought the whole thing was very, very strange. And then the vibe on ring night, I couldn't tell. They It see, almost seemed like they fumbled with the audio or something. I couldn't tell if there were any boos. I don't think there probably were, but it was way louder for Clay and Curry and Poole seemed to be the big three. But in general, it was just a weird vibe. And then him and Poole, and they're getting their rings, and they were never quite next to each other. They never did a hug. They never made up in front of anybody. And they just kind of like, oh, cool. These guys, guess they could have put it behind him. Poole gave him a nice little pass at one point for a layup. But for the most part, it was kind of hanging over the whole night in a way that was a little uncomfortable. It was like being at a family event, right? Like a Thanksgiving or Christmas where... Your aunt and your uncle had just gotten in a huge fight four weeks before, and now we're all at the dinner and like, hey, so how are things? <laughs> and we're just, everyone in the back of their head is thinking like, Aunt Bobby and Uncle Joe had a huge fight last week. Um, I thought it was a little weird. What'd you think? It was definitely weird that, that the fact he turned it into content, and it wasn't on his podcast either. That was strange that he didn't yeah. do it on the pod, but he did do it for this you know 25-minute Propaganda yeah, by piece. the way, if you punch Chris Vernon and you don't talk about it on the podcast, you talk about <laughs> it on some 20-minute infomercial documentary, I'm going to be furious. Yeah, what the hell? Go, throw why is that on the mismatch? Do it on FanDuel TV. Yeah, yeah it's like, <laughs> why are you telling Kay Adams this? <laughs> Put this on the mismatch. Uh, anyway, I don't it's, have to do. it's very weird, but um, I still don't think they're going to train him, Bill. Really? I still don't think so. What would you put as odds? Not that you're an odds maker, but so... Do you think it's more likely they trade him or don't trade him? Because that's likely, it's probably more likely they keep him, right? I think more likely they keep him. Yeah. I, I just, I just, I mean, me and Chris talked about this. I don't, I look around the league. Who is going to make an offer that's going to make any sense for Golden State to take? It, to me, it seems like the type of thing they would wait until next summer and then address it, make another title run, even if it's weird. And then you assess things next offseason when he does have the player option and he can decide to opt out or opt back I could in. see the Pistons grabbing him. Detroit, especially if they were a little bit run. better, if they were a little bit better than people thought. How about the Hawks, Hawks, I could see they would make some sense. Pair him with Trey and Murray. Hawks, I could see. I could see some sort of three teamer where Miles Turner is involved because that's to the I Lakers. Could be a really nice. Case. Yeah, but after watching the Lakers tonight, the last thing I'd want to do if I was them is trade for Draymond Green. I don't think that's what they need. I would. Yeah. I wasn't watching them tonight. Oh man, if Draymond Green was on the Lakers, this would totally be different. Totally. And Draymond. 
was also interesting. The game itself, he was one of the more forgettable guys in the game. And yeah, it's whatever. It wasn't his type of game. It's opening night. It's a little weird with ring night, but the fact that Wiseman, can we do, can we move to that overreaction? Because I think this is a piece. I of mean, it. you're overreacting here, not me. <laughs> Wiseman rolling to the basket with his hands up. Let's go. I he's thought a, at the he's at a the minus very, eleven in seventeen minutes, Bill. Listen, whatever. Don't throw <laughs> stats at me. Um, I thought at the very least he passed Darko in the bust rankings. Oh, well, he's yeah for sure that it's such a well, low bar. Not until come tonight. On, it, it was he, he was dead even, with, dead even with Darko. Did he pass Anthony Bennett too? Yeah, I think okay. he did. Yeah. I think he passed Poku. Poku <laughs> and him might <laughs> just go back and forth. Hey. We're not done with Poku yet. Yeah, they they might just leapfrog each other back and forth. Um, (laughs) Now, I thought, I know he was minus 11, but he, how many of those minutes did he play with Curry? I thought he was playing with their second unit for the most part. And the the Warriors missed a lot of open shots. I mean, the Lakers' defense was pathetic. And I actually think the Warriors could have scored 150 points if they were shooting better. But look, we haven't seen Wiseman play basketball. We saw him during the pandemic season a tiny bit. We didn't really see him at all last season. We barely saw him in college. I, I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know if he was a complete write-off bust where the Warriors were kind of talking about him, you know, like he was BuzzFeed stock or something. Like, no, 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 you want to get in. I know it's a dollar. Um, <laughs> the, the athleticism and the size, it's there. So whether they can turn him in, can they turn him into a 20-minute-a-game guy? He's, what is he, 21 years old? Yeah. I don't know. I, I thought it was encouraging. It doesn't seem like you were as encouraged. I mean, it's encouraging, but the bar was so low. I'm not, you know, doing jumping jacks over here over what we saw this from Wiseman. This is bullshit, If that was Killian Hayes, you would have been throwing a party. I mean, well, he's not, been better, a hot tub he's, party he's not better than Killian Hayes. That's for sure. Say, <laughs> <laughs> Pistons turned down Wiseman for Killian Hayes. <laughs> They're hanging up. Pistons hanging up on yeah, that call. Hang, hanging up on that for damn sure. <laughs> No, I like what I, I saw from Wiseman. Yeah. I think I mean, they look, like him. He, he look, he's shown potential. I mean, he's shown he's shown a different element that the Warriors haven't had with his rim running. And if he can become an enforcer, an anchor for that defense, then it makes trading Draymond, whether it's at the deadline, whether it's next summer, whether it's some number of years from now, it make that easier to do. Because if you are moving Draymond, you got to have somebody who can be the anchor of your defense besides Kevon Looney, given Looney's only a 20 to 25 minute per game guy, maybe 28 to 30 minutes in certain postseason matchups. So right. Wiseman needs to reach that level, then you can do that. But yeah, he's not on my you know overreaction draft, but I was definitely encouraged. I think one of the things I'd be overreacting to is Jordan Poole. Granted, he didn't have a good scoring night. It was only 4 or 15. I thought the playmaking he showed was really, really impressive. That was true in preseason as well, but the five assists he had in the first half had some... You mentioned Wiseman rolling. He had a great pass to Wiseman in the pick and roll where he took an extra dribble to hold the defender before whipping the pass to him. The Warriors are on this sideline play with Stephen Curry where sometimes Steph comes over for a handoff for a three-pointer. Sometimes he cuts to the rim. In this instance, he cut to the rim and and Poole delivered this perfect bounce pass to Steph on the cut. I just feel like Poole... He didn't score tonight, but the, he's doing a good job each year of, of toggling between scoring and playmaking. And and with him, he's not going to get like Clay's taking a lot of shots, and he's not going to get all star usage. But it feels like if this trend continues for Poole, he has all star talent, even if the usage isn't there. I agree. 
they want to keep Curry's minutes. It was 34.5 last year. In the 18th season, it was 32. I think they want him around 32, which means Poole needs to run the team for those other 16 minutes. And you didn't mention DiVincenzo. Now, his game, if it's ever, if he's ever going to really make it as an elite bench guy, it would be on this Warriors team with the way they move and the stuff he brings to the table. It does remind me, like in the Redeem Team doc, Rudy Fernandez has this whole moment in the Redeem Team doc. And it brought me back to 15 years ago when like all of us had Rudy Fernandez stock. It was like having the Ken Griffey upper deck cards in 1990. <laughs> all of us had Fernandez stock. It's like, this is the year for Fernandez. And he just on paper looked and you'd watch him. And he's like, God, this guy can do everything. And DiFincenzo reminds me a little of that. He He's so skilled as an, like he can go to the basket. He's a good passer. He can shoot, right? Just fundamentally as a bench guy, you want those three things. And yet I have no idea if he's ever going to be able to put them together. And that's why he was only available for basically a one-year flyer. If it's ever going to happen, it's going to be in this team. I mean, he made a good decision going to Golden State. What a place to try to restore your value and prove you're worth more money than, than yep. what he ended up signing for. And so for him, if he's able to stay healthy, shoot threes, make some solid decisions off the dribble, survive on defense, he's going to get paid. Yeah. It's a little like the, the Curry Warriors are becoming a little like the Brady Pats where people are just going to stop by for a year to either restore their value, try to chase a ring, whatever. And they'll take the discount to have the experience for one year just to see how it goes. They'll always be able to get those guys. It feels is like. that is that a good thing in the case, in the sense that, you know, Moses Moody plays only eight minutes tonight and he's looked pretty good defensively, versatile, long, right? He's got strength and hit spot up threes for you. We can dribble. I mean, Moody's a good player, but he only gets eight minutes behind Kaminga behind even Chenzo. I'd like to see him get some more opportunities behind well, Jermichael Green for that matter, too. Yeah, see, I didn't like the Jermichael Green. I was surprised he played 23 minutes. I thought those I thought those were going to be moody minutes. I thought they were going to be a little smaller. Maybe it was because of the matchup who they were playing. I don't know, but I'm with you. They talked up moody big time before the season. Made it seem like he was this uh, super important person. Yeah, the Draymond thing, I don't know how it plays out. I don't think I would want to bet either way on it yet. And I do think he has potential to make it worse is the other factor with this. Like even the, that documentary thing, whatever. I wouldn't be delighted about that if I was on the, you know, running the Warriors. It's like, why, why is this on the internet now? Why is this on Twitter? Why do it? Why, why is this still going? Like, just let it go. Put it behind you. Don't talk about it. You know how the internet goes. People talk about stuff and then they move on to the next thing. People had kind of moved on to the next thing. Ring night was going to be the last piece of it. And now it feels like it's going to come back up. Um, it, it gave it more life for no reason. Yeah, for no reason. Um, the Curry piece of this was fun tonight too, where you think like they're coming to, LeBron and the Lakers coming to Curry's house. LeBron was the player of the generation. Then Curry kind of took over at least a little bit these last seven, eight years. They either shared it or and then last year, Curry really took the reins. And then LeBron comes to his house. They had the same number of titles. Even the way Curry was carrying himself in that ring thing, like it's just like, that's his house. Those are his fans. There's no other relationship like that with a player and a city and a franchise. And you could feel it even in ring night. Like no other player could win and have the command of the room like that. And that's, you know, the one thing LeBron gave up by not staying in Cleveland. He's not going to have a connection like that with another fan base, you know? Did you see the uh, the Bob Costas? 
video that kind of went viral on Twitter the other day where he's talking about after Michael Jordan's last finals, the changing NBA, how stars weren't staying in one place at one time anymore and what that meant for yeah. fans with the identity of teams that they root for. It yeah. seems kind of prophetic in a way. Um, and it relates to what you're saying now about what LeBron doesn't have and Steph does. Well, we have Giannis has it with Milwaukee. I think Tatum has a chance to have it with Boston if he wants it. I think Embiid has a chance to have it with Philly. He needs to win a title. All these guys need to win a title. Giannis already did it. Luka has a chance to do it in Dallas. And Ja has a chance in Memphis. But, you know, first you have to win the title. Because so that's a whole different level of bonding. Yeah, and it's so early for them too. But you got to get the title. That pushes the bond. Think about how different Pierce's Celtics career was and how KG is received in Boston. They won one title. But those guys, are, they're printed for life in Boston because of that one title. Um, I don't know how that's going to work with Davis and the Lakers because that bubble title was so strange. Like there were no fans in any of the games. I don't know if that carries like the same sort of... Didn't even have a parade. There was no parade. Yeah, it was just weird. It was a, it was a weird one, but... I mean, I remember, think, I remember like, going to the Celtics parade. I mean, it's one of the most, you know, made an imprint on me going there, you know, being on there on the street. Like, you'd not even be able to celebrate that. I saw yeah, Leon Poe after the tra- after that parade. He was in a car, and I was like, that's Leon Poe! Two oh, my God. Over, ra- ran over to him and thanked him for the title. Yeah. What was he? What was he? Good game memory. two was his big game? I think game two, game three. Where, where game had, two uh, of what? the finals, something like that. Almost 20 points, bunch of rebounds. Hey, I picked... um. I did my picks today before we go. You had so you have a Golden State Boston rematch. I did Milwaukee and Denver. I talked about this last week with House and Rasson when we did the over unders. We're all really high on Denver. And I was like, I don't want to officially make my pick. I want one more week. I want to read. I want to I love the quotes before the season, all that little stuff. I had to do my whole process. Denver's the ceiling team to me. And I think people are pointing to the Clippers, but that was an interesting outcome tonight. And we forgot to talk about this where people are like Kawhi and Paul George, that duo. I just think Jalen and, and uh, Tatum are better than Kawhi and Paul at this point. Those guys are older. I don't trust them to play eight straight months. I don't know how they can stay on the court for more than 60 to 65 games. I don't trust it. And I know what I have with Tatum and Brown. I just think they're a safer bet with Denver when you think the floor for that team, removing Murray and Porter and, and forget about adding Caldwell Pope and Bruce Brown, their floor was 48 wins. I don't know yeah. how they're not eight to 10 wins better. And they, there was a bet on FanDuel, I think plus 550 for the one seed. To me, it's Golden State or them for the one seed. I think those are the two safest bets, but I think Denver's going to be off the charts offensively this year. What do you think? I think Michael Porter Jr. is going to be the key to that. Yeah, he looked he looked more like the guy who averaged 19 points on 45 percent from three and just jacking shots from everywhere and still hitting them the regardless of the defense and preseason. So if he's able to sustain that or even build on it and keep getting better and maybe become a 23, 24, 25 point per game guy with Murray back and all that support, like you said, KCP, Bruce Brown, they got some depth. They have versatility. Bones Highland. Maybe he gets better as a young player, too. He'll definitely be a little better. Yeah, they, they should be better. So Denver, um, another year of chemistry with Aaron Gordon, too, for that matter. Yeah, Denver's got a real shot. They do. And Milwaukee, you can't bet against Giannis. And Chris Middleton, one of the best players, top 25, 30 guys in the league as well, coming back at some point early in the year. I think that's a fine bet. Milwaukee would be right there for me next to Boston. To me, that's the two clear best teams in the Eastern Conference. And Golden State, Denver, they're right up there for me in the West. Um 
I mean, I think you could make an argument for a couple other teams making the finals, but ultimately I'd, I'd go with Golden State still right now. And Denver probably in the West Finals. Grizzlies, they have a shot. Still too young, I think. Eh. Clipper, Clippers, I mean, it re- like it's really a health bet with them. Yeah, I think the two teams you had, the two teams I had, I think to me are the clear four that are like the yeah. safest bets. And then the Clippers are the wild card bet and Philly in the East. And if Philly, whether there's a coach change. We haven't mentioned them. The Suns fall off a little bit here for you? No question. Well, we added Michael Pena was on the ringer today and he did 19 predictions. Came out hot. First ringer piece. Mm -hmm. And he had a, he had increasingly bold predictions in two hours. Just flat out jealous of the Chris Paul with the Suns trade Chris Paul during the season. I was like, whoa! <laughs> how I got to put about, a fire retarded suit on. How about the and, last one he had? Well, the Heat... Then it goes to the last one. <laughs> oh my God. Then I was like, whoa, he's not going to be able to top that Chris Paul one. And then cool not concept. only did he have the, will Miami move on from Jimmy Butler as his last prediction, <laughs> but he had fake trades. I was like, how is this guy not working for a sooner? But one of the <laughs> trades was Jimmy Butler to Denver and it was like Porter and a, and a couple other pieces. And I got to be honest, my head started racing with that one. I was like, that is really, really interesting. If Miami feels like they missed their window, um, you have Denver going, we're close. Now, the uncertainty of Porter, let's just grab Jimmy, Jimmy Buckets and really make a run here. I was intrigued. I don't think it'll happen, but I thought that was one of the best fake trades I'd read in a while. If you're Denver... And if you have concerns about Porter Jr. moving forward, then yeah, you try to shop him. But if you if you're betting on this guy to stay healthy, dude, his upside's so high. Like that guy couldn't agree a, more. A six foot ten clay like shooter, dude's unbelievable. He can jack it from thirty feet. He can jack it coming off a screen with two defenders sprawled over him and from the corner. He can pull up for mid range. He can hit turnarounds. And if he continues getting better with his handle, he's going to be able to get to the basket with even greater efficiency as well. Porter. I mean, like he's the he might be the X factor of the entire NBA season if we're talking about finals teams because what he can yep. turn Denver into is a team that's there possibly every single year. Well, that's what I was thinking about them as a one seed. Like even if they get sixty games out of him, that's such an X factor. It's just like, oh, we're going to add this this uh, twenty point score, six foot ten, and makes twenty five footers, moves without the ball. We're just going to throw him into this mix we have already. I thought, uh, one thing I thought and why I don't think that trade can happen, but it was fun to talk about. If Denver was open to trading Porter, that would make me not want to trade for him because I'd be like, what do they know? Oh yeah, for sure. You know, it's like, hey man, I got this unbelievable Porsche. (laughs) Man, I'd hate to part with this thing, but I'll I'll sell it. Yeah, no, the engine's great. And I'd just be like, I'm out. Why are you trying to sell? That car's beautiful. Why do you want to get rid of it? So I think they're probably stuck with Porter Porter for uh, better or worse, and it'll probably be better. I think we both think he's, you know, on paper, just an unbelievable fit with Jokic and what they have. But yeah, it's he could get hurt in April, and that would be it. Well, I remember when I was in Denver a couple of years ago and interviewed their former GM, Tim Conley, he said something to me like, with Porter Jr., the only concern is injury. That's it. Yeah. And, and I, I think that was the mindset with them just giving him the money, even though it, it might end up being a mistake if he keeps getting hurt and you're stuck with that contract. But all you really need for a chance to win one is for him to be healthy once in April, May, and then possibly June. Like that's all you need is just one time, just once over the duration of the contract. And if you win it, then it's worth it. All right. KFC, it is now 11.02 Pacific time. So we're wrapping it up. It's good to see you. We'll hear you on the mismatch. 
We'll see you on the YouTube feeds. When when is the void kick back up? Not sure. We're figuring that out. Okay. Then we got Maybe November, December, something like that. You're on TikTok. There's a lot of Wimbanyama scoot coverage coming. It's a good Absolutely. time. A lot of draft coverage. I'm looking forward to our NBA draft guide this year. This is, this is a fun oh, draft, yeah. even beyond those guys. All right. Good to see you. Thanks, Bill. This episode is brought to you by Burger King, which has the greatest commercial song I think I've ever heard. The ultimate hunger hack has arrived, my friends. BK's Royal Crispy Wraps. Choose from four bold flavors, classic, spicy, honey mustard, and the new, drumroll please, fiery buffalo. Oh yeah, I'm getting that one. They're only, only just $2.99 each because at BK, have it your way, you roll. Try Royal Crispy Wraps at Burger King, $2.99 each. Price and participation vary, U.S. only. This episode is brought to you by Lincoln in the all-new 2024 Nautilus Hybrid, featuring a customizable 48-inch panoramic display, available Revel audio system, and available perfect position front seats with active motion massage. Oh, my God. The world isn't wide enough. Visit Lincoln.com to learn more. Some models, trims, and features may not be available or may be subject to change. Check with your local retailer for current information. Lincoln and Nautilus are trademarks of Ford or its affiliates. All right, Ryan Fitzpatrick is here. He played the NFL for a long time. He is on Amazon's pregame halftime, postgame stuff now, trying to figure out uh, what's next. What do you think of TV, first of all? It's been pretty good. I, I've enjoyed it. Uh, you know, part of it for me is just traveling from city to city and getting to see former teammates, coaches, uh, trainers, equipment guys, all that. So keeping in it and the TV aspect, you know, they dress me. So I get to mm. say, well, you know, does, does this go with this? And they usually say no, but I decide to wear it anyway. And, you know, just working with the guys I'm working with and Carissa, uh, you know, Richard Sherman is a, character and uh andrew whitworth's been fun tony gonzalez has been fun so we're we're enjoying it so far i got thrown into one of those studio shows for nba like 10 years ago and there are these little things that you just don't realize until you're actually doing it right like it looks really bad if you're nodding vigorously as somebody else is talking <laughs> it looks bad if you're fidgety um you want to make your point in like you know 25 30 seconds strong and not just kind of ramble you don't want to chew up the five minute segment you know, if, if it has to move around to everybody, what else have you learned? What other little tricks? Yeah. I mean, we've got, we have to hold our mics the whole time. So oh, we're right. not, we're not doing this. It's picking up too much interference. So we're not doing the Madonna mic. We're doing the normal mic. And so they keep having to tell us, especially in these loud stadiums, like Kansas city, for instance, our first week doing it, eat your mic, you know, because we're talking and you're moving your head, but you're not moving the mic. Um, uh, and the audio isn't picking up as good as it should. So there's some of that, you know, for me, it's been, uh, you know, just like moving your head back and forth. Yeah. Yeah. Like, what are we doing here? The camera, don't worry about it. You're talking and having a discussion, you know, and I'm right in the middle. And so it's just constantly doing this and this, and then having to go to the chiropractor after the, after the <laughs> right. session, you know, with all the neck movement and the <laughs> nodding and, uh, you know, knowing when you're on camera and when you're not, making goofy faces at people, but that, that all, uh, that all has been fun to learn about. See, I was smart. I worked with your girl, Amina, when I did, uh, when I did the NBA and I was like, give me the side seat. I'm not doing the bobblehead back and <laughs> forth thing. I would have been the end like Barkley. <laughs> Let me do that. Uh, let's talk football stuff. So 
the big, I guess it's becoming a trend is this whole everybody trying to take away the explosive plays. And I can't tell. We're only six weeks in. I don't know the difference between a fad and a trend, but we are getting less explosive plays. Every game is going under. It's like 65% of the games are going under. And it does feel like a little more of a grit and grind kind of season, which is good for my beloved Patriots because that's a run the ball, play action, you know, 12 play drive type of team. But is this a fad or is this an actual trend for you? Well, I think there's a lot that goes into it. I I think, first of all, quarterbacks are becoming more risk averse. Uh, You see that a lot. And with some of these new offenses, um, you know, if you think they're playing to take away the deep shots, running game should explode and they're not really exploding. And so uh, some of these new offenses, it's such even, you know, watching Justin Herbert last night. What, he had 58 attempts or something and averaged 4.2 yards per attempt, you know? And so uh, there's a lot. The issue I have with a lot of these newer offenses is when you look at receivers catching the ball, their shoulders are facing the quarterback. They're away from their end zone. And so this run after the catch stuff, which you see with San Francisco and with some of these other teams, they're not catching the ball on the run and hitting it and going. It's more catching it, looking at the quarterback face-to-face and then having to turn around. And so you're going to generate less explosives that way and you're going to generate less explosives by not taking the shots down the field. Uh, so that part of it for me has been a little frustrating to watch. Uh, you know, watching the Patriots, watching Bailey Zappi. Is it Zappi or Zapp? We're calling him Zappi? With We're calling him Zappi. You can call him We're whatever you want. Zappy. Just call him the best quarterback in football. But call him well, Zapp. Zappi doesn't matter. But, but we got a young guy that comes in and right away on a third down takes a shot up to Devon, Devontae Parker, who goes up and gets it and brings it down, right? And so uh, there's some of these passes down the field that you're not seeing with some of these other guys. Uh, you know, Aaron Rodgers, for example, you know, there's a lot of the RPOs and just getting it out of his hand. And some of that's probably trust with receivers, but uh, more down the field shots, man. That's why I'm hoping Jameis plays this week for us on Thursday night because you know he's going <laughs> to put it down the field. Well, ironically, you were a take the shots. I used to hate when the Patriots played you because <laughs> you and Flacco were the two that you just three-step drop, just chuck it down the sideline. And I'm always the most scared of that as a fan. As If I've gambled on the other team or if I'm a fan, I just feel like there's three outcomes, basically incompletion, completion, or pass interference, right? And yeah. you saw Baltimore just for five years there with Flacco, where they were just like, let's keep, let's keep going, let's keep putting the pressure on. And I, I absolutely hated it. I, I don't know why the Chargers don't do that with Herbert. I, like yeah, to me, it, that if I could change anything in the NFL this season, I'd be like, just run that offense with Herbert, let him fling it. Yeah, and you know they did. They had a game plan going in where they were going to attack the guy opposite of Sertan last night and threw a couple deep ones on him where they got the PIs, but they're just, there can be more of it. There can be more of, you know, the quarterback at the line seeing one-on-one coverage and being able to take advantage because some of these receivers are so impressive and so skilled coming out of college now. Uh, You know, that in the last five to 10 years, that's been the crazy thing for me too, to watch how skilled some of these guys are coming into the NFL, NFL ready, because it's a tough position to do that in. Yep. And more and more guys are making that jump uh, easier every year. Well, you had, you played with Parker. Like that's the move. Yeah. It's, it's not like he's going to be open by five yards. He wants to have contact, go up in the air and bang off people and go get the ball. Well, and, and you think, you know, we, we did the Bears game 
and we just started talking about Justin Fields and what he threw to in college. Yeah, you know, and his he really his receiving core is worse than it was in college. No disrespect to the guys he's throwing to, but the one I forgot about, I think Jamison Williams was on that team as well right. at, at some point. But Smith and Jigba, who they're saying, you know, is better than Alave and better than Wilson. Like, you know, the guys he was throwing to and the guys, the talent he was throwing against, there's so much separation. And I saw that with Tua when he first got to Miami. You take the receivers he had at Alabama and their competition level, and there's just a different this guy is open in the NFL than there is in college. And and that's, I think what some of these quarterbacks are struggling with the young ones, especially as they get to the NFL. So if you just did that bears game and they don't have a lot of talent, obviously. And I, I'm more on the side of, I don't know if fields ever makes it as like a top 15 guy, because I just, I call me nuts, but I love accuracy and completions is one of my, one of my things for quarterbacks. I like when, even somebody like Zappi, like I just like guys yeah. who hit open dudes. With that said, it does feel like there's a different version of an offense for him that might be more fun, right? Where you take advantage of his athleticism and you just have him chuck it downfield. What you said before about the fear of interceptions, where does that come from? Is that the coordinators or is that the quarterbacks being afraid of the impact on the stats? Yeah, I think it's the stats. I mean, okay. and you can you can always tell. You know, when you when you've either got the end of half or end of game hail mary, you can always tell a quarterback and what they're thinking and feeling about that one that accidentally takes a sack or you know goes oh yeah, throws yeah, that, yeah hey let's throw it real quick for the you know fifteen yarder and maybe get into the end zone. Uh, the guys that throw the hail mary out of bounds. I mean, you could tell certain guys are thinking about it and trying to protect protect what that end stat line looks like. Um, but I, I think that's probably some of its rise of social media and the hatred on there and, you know, just being able to produce a stat line at the end of the game. That's like, well, I guess he didn't lose the game for us. Look at his stats. He didn't throw any picks. Uh, that part is becoming more and more prevalent. And look, the goal is not to throw interceptions, obviously as a quarterback, but the goal also, especially with these offenses that are struggling. When I look at Denver, I'm taking two or three shots to Jerry Judy and taking two or three shots to Cortland Sutton every single game. Because if you're having a hard time generating yards and you're having to go on these 14, 15, 16 play drives where a batted ball, a holding call, a false start, you know, a lost run, a sack, and all of a sudden you can't extend that drive. Shots down the field are the way to overcome bad offense. Whether you said it's a PI, it's a catch, or it's an incompletion, there's two of those three things that can be pretty good for you. It's funny what you said about the Hail Mary, because in basketball, this started happening like 15 years ago. The end of the quarter, end of the half, three-pointer from half court. And yeah. guys just started waiting until a split second after the buzzer before they shot it because they didn't want it to hurt their three-point percentage, right? And I... I'm going to start looking for that now. That would be a fun thing to follow oh, just during football it. games. Yeah, that's... So you had... Especially I'm looking at... Especially end of half. When you're looking at the end of the half and the guy takes the five-yarder off the line and then the you know the receiver runs for 30 and they jog into the locker room, that's, mm. that's a big one. He's like, I'm good. Yeah, you had a couple years. You had... In Buffalo, you threw 23 picks and 16 picks back-to-back -back seasons. You threw 17 picks in the Jets one year, but you were letting it fly. I always felt like... You know, it, like you were kind of a throwback to 60s, 70s, where they just didn't care about the stats as much. It was more, 
you know, how can I move the ball? What are my things? Like, what would you do differently when you look back at some of your stat lines? Yeah, but some, you know, 23 picks and uh, with the Bills, I led the league that year. I think I, I tied maybe Eli, but, uh, you know, some of that, a lot of that was also decision-making. It was being yeah. behind in a game and, you know, making some dumb throws and decisions. So, so I'm not saying like, yes, you need to lead the league in picks. You need to have 15 interceptions. But yeah. the fact that, you know, there's so much fear, especially when you're losing a game of taking shots downfield and making plays, I, I just think uh, there aren't enough guys that are willing to take those shots right now. And there should be more. And, and look, even Justin Fields, when we watch, when we, I watch all his tape going up into that game, he throws a beautiful deep ball. But right. it was like in that game, he threw one deep ball to Austin Pettis and they scored a touchdown on it. And other than that, the only way they generate yards is from him scrambling. So why not dial up two or three a game where he's putting the ball in the air and letting it rip downfield? It's just, it's head scratching to me sometimes. What, uh, what's your favorite young quarterback, right? Or who's your favorite young quarterback right now? If you had to pick like just the, uh, the one you just enjoy watching for all the well, reasons I, you like. If we're still, if, we're still counting Josh as a young quarterback, Josh Allen. No, Josh doesn't I mean, count. Josh is off the table. Okay. Uh, is Joe Burrow off the table? No. Like Joe? No. Okay. I, I love I, I love watching Joe. But even, you know, week one, he comes out and just lays an egg versus the Steelers. He's, he's got the picks. He makes some bad decisions. E- even after that, he's getting stacked a bunch, and people are critical of his offensive line. But he realizes a lot of it is himself. Now you see the numbers of how quickly he's getting the ball out, but also it's, it's not just the short, you know, throwing the ball, the screens and all that. He puts the ball down the field and, and lucky for Joe, he's got Jamar Chase, T Higgins, who to me is the most underrated receiver in the NFL and Tyler mm-hmm. Boyd. So he, he's got some players that handed off to Joe Mixon. So he's in a great spot, but I really like him, the way he plays. Uh, he plays without fear in, in terms of, uh, you know, taking those shots down the field and even hanging on to it for an extra second and taking a shot while letting go of the ball. I, I really like the way he plays. I do as well. I uh, I have him on my fantasy team, so I was watching him even more closely. I went all in on him and Chase. And it's I feel like he's been figuring out his team as the season went along because we all thought, oh, the Bengals, they improved their offensive line. I thought they were going to be better. But that Pittsburgh game was such a disaster. Now they're going against Watt and maybe Watt was, he got hurt at the end of the game, but he's just a freak. Maybe he blew them up. I don't know. But over the last five games, I thought that Saints game was pretty important for them where they had to come from behind. I think the season craters, if they lose that, they're two and four um, with with some games that they blew and they just seemed disjointed. But Chase finally rips one off. And now they're three and three, which you just, you don't want to be two and four at this point in the season. But I'm with you. The thing you said about he waits that extra second, but you know, he'll take the hit if it's going to buy him that extra second, because that's going to be the completion. I'm on my couch. I don't want to sound like Van Pell. I'm just a guy on my couch. I don't feel like Brady and Rogers are waiting that extra second anymore, especially Brady. Brady to me seems like he's been business decisioning these first six weeks and he just doesn't want to get hit. What do you see when you watch Brady? Yeah, I mean, he's also 45 years old. You know? <laughs> so the, it's, yeah, it's, it's his career. You know, when I think about his career and how durable he's been, uh, I mean, you look at some of these games that are happening. Skylar Thompson goes in for Miami and bangs his hand on a helmet. Uh, 
you've got a Teddy Bridgewater goes in concussion, Hoyer concussion. You have these guys that are going into these games getting hurt right away. Like Tom, other than the ACL, hasn't really missed anything in his entire career. So yeah. uh, and, and a lot of that is toughness and the way that he prepares. Some of that is luck, but it's also longevity in the way that he plays and getting rid of the ball. So, um, you know, I just, for me watching him this year, I know there's a lot of stuff that's going on in his life, you know, that, that kind of everybody's been rumored to hear about, but, um, I just don't see that same fire. He just seems a little disinterested. You know, I, I feel like in the Kansas city game, he was ready to turn it up. You know, they didn't really have a chance in that game because Kansas city's offense was great, but that was kind of the first time where it was like, okay, I see the interest level. I see this guy played against him so many times. I mean, when they're beating you, he's just not satisfied with winning by three or by seven the whole game and the most impressive thing for me, his entire career is how focused he can be on every single drive of every single game. And I just see a lack thereof this year when I watch them play. So I've, I'm a huge Patriots fan, obviously, and I've watched an incredible number of Brady games and I'm with you. I don't know what the right verb is, but something's different. And I, I see a guy, and again, I don't know anything. I haven't seen him in person. I'm just watching on TV. But I see a guy who doesn't seem like he's all in on playing football anymore. And you can just see it the way, the look on his face, how he used to be like the ultimate team guy. And he was always trying to inspire and he was just locked in. And you felt like he was really, really leading the team. That team seems rudderless to me. And I know they they lost Arians too, but and you're losing to Pittsburgh. You're losing to Kenny Pickett, who's basically, his, I think it's his second start. He goes out. Trubisky comes in, who they would have like sent packing if anybody had to get off of them, you know, a 14th round pick. He comes in. He's making third down throws. It's like to lose that game, I thought was alarming. And I try not to overreact in October, but that was alarming because it doesn't feel like they move the ball in the same way. I don't think they can run the ball either. Their offensive line isn't as good. And I just wonder, does he, does he just have regret? Does he just like, man, why did I come back? And and is that starting to seep on the field? So what, what do you see with that? Well, I, I think, I mean, I think I've seen this from him before his last year in New England. Yeah, um, that was another example. You know, it was another example of just a year where there was so much visible frustration from him. Uh, he was kind of exasperated all the time by his teammates and play calling. And you could just visibly see him upset more than usual on the field, on the sideline. And that's what this year feels like a little bit. That being said, you know, I played for Todd Bowles um, in New York. I think, first of all, he his defensive scheme it, is great. It's tough to go against. He's very aggressive. And that trickles down to the team. You know, I think they won some of those games early because of the defense and they haven't performed as well as of late, but I still see the Bucks as a team that they're going to sleepwalk their way to 10 and seven, you know, and make the playoffs. And then hopefully it all comes together because maybe then Tom becomes Tom again in the playoffs. Yeah. But it's just, that's, that's kind of what this season feels like right now for me. And that's the case for Brady is he's like, he's, done 22 of these 22 seasons of these like he knows like it doesn't really matter until we get to thanksgiving but that, what your team is but that's that's always been the amazing thing about him though when i watch him is even though it's been so long he's so locked in all the time 
you know, yeah. whether it was an inferior opponent or a big game on, you know, Sunday, Monday night, Thursday night, uh, you know, it's just, he's, he was always so locked in and I just, I'm missing that a little bit when I watch him this year. Well, I thought that the retirement comeback was obviously odd. The 10 day hiatus in the middle of training camp in August, that didn't seem great. He's not, he's not with them on Wednesdays. And the Friday night thing, I was really surprised by. I thought that was about as unusual. I mean, you've, you played a lot of football seasons. I'm going to guess you kind of want to be where the team is on a Friday night when the game is Sunday at one o'clock on the East Coast. Am I, am I missing something? Yeah. And, and you know, it, it's, it's one of those things he had to know, you know, if they win the game, it's not a story. And if they don't, then it is. Um, yeah. And I don't think a whole lot of people went into that game thinking they were going to lose that game to Pittsburgh, but you know, all of a sudden it becomes a story and something we have to talk about because, you know, nobody else in the NFL is getting that privilege to go to a, a buddy's wedding, uh, you know, well, on here's a Friday the thing. Night. If it's, if it's one thing, it's not a big deal. But the, this is like five or six things now, and they just start adding up where you're going, football doesn't work like this. Like the great thing about Brady when he was on the Patriots during the best times is he was always like, even though he wasn't one of the guys, he worked harder than everybody else and he was all in and he was the ultimate teammate. And that's what all those guys from who played with him, it's very different than some of the guys that have come out against Rodgers and Russell Wilson, where you have these people kind of throwing grenades, the ex-teammates. There's none of that with Brady. Like nobody from the Patriots, you've never heard anybody say anything other than that guy was an incredible teammate. And this this year, it doesn't seem like he's an incredible teammate. It, it feels like he's being grandfathered in as I'm the superstar. I'll show up, you know, kind of when I want. And I, I just, you tell me different, but I don't know if football works that way. When you have 53 guys, everybody's supposed to be on the same page. Yeah. And that's, you know, if anybody gets a pass, it's him because, yes. you know, he's widely considered the greatest of all time. And, and then the, it's almost like he did the Bucks a favor by coming back, you know, right. well, I'll come back under my own terms, that kind of thing. But I will say just knowing some of the guys in that locker room, especially the guys he's throwing to the Chris Godwins of the world and the Mike Evans, uh, those guys love and respect him. You know, they yeah. have zero ego. Uh, you know, you're not going to see an Antonio Brown type blow up out of those guys. They really, um, they're there to win. They love playing with him. They're true professionals. So I don't think, I don't think this goes south because of this last incident or multiple incidents. I think, again, they're going to sleepwalk their way to the playoffs and hopefully it all comes together. Well, the football season is so fucking long. Like <laughs> it's week six. We're, Barely at the one third point. And I think if we've learned anything over the last few years, like the Chiefs were three and four last year. You know, the Bengals, 10 weeks into this season, nobody was thinking about them as any sort of a Super Bowl possibility. So it's a long season. You know, you have a unique place in Patriot fan history, which I'm sure you're aware of. You, you <laughs> murdered our last season with Tom Brady. It, yeah, it actually, it was, it was, it was an assassination. It wasn't even a murder because nobody was expecting it. And we end up losing home field advantage and then getting trounced in the playoffs. But um, did you feel like this is deep inside Patriot stuff, but it felt like you guys thought you could win that game. Like I, I yeah. think you saw your team saw something in the Patriots that I don't think a lot of us saw 
where we were like, this is bad, but they'll turn it on. They'll flip the switch. They did it last year. But you guys actually thought you were better than them. Is that accurate? Well, it, it was crazy because if you go back to when we played them at the beginning of the year and that was, you know, the worst roster ever assembled and they're tanking for Tua and, mm. you know, the, Dominic Foxworth was, this isn't fair to these players. You're putting them in harm's way because they're so bad. Right. Um, and we really, we really just cut everybody that had any sort of uh, ability and just brought guys off the street. But that year was so rewarding for me because I think we started 0-7. Um, but the way that we finished that year and the belief that we had in that locker room uh, and grew together throughout the season, that was a big game for the Dolphins organization for us as players to be like, okay, look how far we've come. Mm. We can do this. We can actually beat these guys. And, and the Patriots were flawed that year. They, you know, just talking about the Bucks sleepwalking to 10 and seven, maybe this year, whatever their record was, they were kind of sleepwalking their way through the season there. And there was some stuff that wasn't right. And, you know, going back to Tom's body language throughout the year and, you know, some uncharacteristic stuff as you watch their offense, they weren't really what their record was. And we did. We believed that we could do it in that game. And it took us going down and, you know, scoring on a two-minute drive uh, at the end of the game. But it was very fulfilling to be able to do that uh, at Foxborough. It wasn't fulfilling for us, I'll tell you that much. I, <laughs> we can't really complain. We made a lot of, we made a lot of Super Bowls. I always yeah, ask when I have okay. quarterbacks on, I always ask this question. So I'm going to ask you, that position just for what succeeds, it's not like talent. You obviously have to have some talent. But to me, the charisma, the poise, and the smarts is so important. The confidence, all of these intangibles that come with that position where you're basically like, you're like a fighter pilot. You're one of the only people in the world who can fly the Top Gun plane, right? It's like Top Gun Maverick. They get the 12 guys. It's like, you are the 12 people who can do this mission. And a lot of people can't do the mission. And yet over and over again with the draft, the same kind of guys get drafted and the same kind of guys fail. And then you look at the guys that make it. You mentioned Burrow earlier, right? Cool customer, tough as nails, um, super smart. There, there's just something different about him that you can see. Why can we not get the quarterback thing right with the evaluations? Why do we always over and over again look for the wrong things? Bailey Zappi is a good example. Has poise put up big stats in college, but it's like, let's hold the phones a little bit on. Well, I know, We'll but see, you know, you know it's, it's early, but yeah, fourth round um, pick. No, I, but it's, it's hard because, uh, part of it is situation too. Part of it is what you walk into. And, and I always point to, you know, two guys. And one of these is becoming a better example, but the two guys I point to Ben Roethlisberger and Russell Wilson. And the, the success that they had right away, but the situations yep. that they walked into, there was an infrastructure on both of those teams with a great defense and the ability to run the ball. Um, so you see them both walk into those situations and get better. I mean, Ben was not a great quarterback when he came into the league, but over the years, you just saw all of a sudden that changed from Steelers, great defense, good running game to Ben Roethlisberger's team airing the ball out, making plays down the field, and then relying more and more on him to win games for them. Mm. Um, the Russell Wilson example is very interesting. Uh, you know, and I'm on set with Richard Sherman, who has some very strong opinions on it, but you've got a historically dominant defense. You've got a good running game. Um, 
now all of a sudden we've stripped some of that away and he goes to Denver. He's in a new system. Now their defense this year has been phenomenal, but there just seems to be something that's not working there. Uh, but even when Josh Allen came out, there were, there were questions about Josh because coming from Wyoming, smaller school, can he do it? His first two years in the league, he's at 50 something percent completion percentage. And all of a sudden something clicks and there is a physical talent with some of these guys. Josh and Herbert are probably two examples that you can't replicate. But, you know, Justin Fields is an example of like a guy that is so physically gifted that you're willing to take the chance on them early in the draft because maybe the ego of a coach, you think that you can develop them into something. Hmm. But it's just, it's tough. And you're, you're not going to see many of the Bailey Zappies and those you know, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh round undrafted guys as quarterbacks much anymore because there's so many guys with the way that the rookie wage scale changed and everything that are going in the first round that you're going to pick in the top 10. And you just look around the league, how many non-first round quarterbacks are opening day starters? There aren't many. I mean, Kirk Cousins is one of them. Dak Prescott's one of them, but there aren't a whole lot of them anymore. Well, think about just the guys who won on Sunday. It's like Geno Smith, Mariota, who I know is a first-round pick, but anybody could have had him over the winter, right? Trubisky, well, Pickett, win together, Zappy. You go on down the line, it's like half of the guys were afterthoughts. Yeah, and I love, you know, I think Atlanta, Arthur Smith is doing such a wonderful job there. Yeah. If you look at a guy that is taking what he has and he is using Marcus Mariota's best attributes and making sure he highlights those every game. He's making game plans that highlight who they are as a football team rather than just copy paste, you know, throwing plays out there. I think Arthur is a great example of a team now that's on the rise, maybe not because of how much talent they have, but the way that he's coaching that football team right now. I always thought that was Belichick's greatest skill as a coach. Like if and people I, are going to be like, what, why did he succeed? It was like, he always, looked at his players and then figured out what system would work for the players he had for that year. And I don't think a lot and, of people do that. Yeah. And, and you look, you know, when you look at the last two weeks with new England, you know, sometimes we forget it's, Oh no, they're going to be terrible this year that they're never going to be terrible with bill as the coach. Right. Yeah. Because all of a sudden these last two weeks, a team that looked lost and looked like, you know, they're going to win three, four, five games uh, has blown a few teams out. They shut out the hottest, offense in the league yeah and they go and they make cleveland look silly with you know a, a kid that it, bailey zappy what he's doing right now is pretty incredible because you know we had the offensive coordinator dilemma where they've got a guy that's never called offensive plays in the nfl or yeah. maybe anywhere um bailey zappy's not getting a ton of reps you know in the offseason yeah. so he's come in and done what he's done with limited reps as well uh but it's almost like Coach Belichick thrives on that adversity too, right? When when things like that happen, he just you the the greatness of his coaching comes alive. Well, he I knew I said it on the podcast that night when they lost to the Packers. And I saw how into the game he was, and he's thrown his headset. And it was a very Patriots type game where they controlled the clock. They the game management was great. They kind of maximized whatever the possibility was that Zappy just wasn't ready. They needed him to make two throws in Lambeau and he had just been thrown in the fire. He couldn't do it. I think he could, the Zappy now might've been able to do it, but I, I had a feeling that game, I was like, oh, he likes this team. 
because I just felt like he was invested. And you saw what they did to Cleveland last week. It was a classic Belichick game. It's like, oh, you you love to run the ball with Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt? You're not going to do that today. It's just not happening. Yeah. What else do you got? And, you know, the other thing in the beginning of the game, long drive. You know what? I'm going to take the three points. It'll be great. I, I'm happy to go up three nothing. I that's another thing, and I've been complaining about this a lot on my pod. It's just I people are afraid to take points now. It's like ah, I looked at my chart. It's we have seventy eight percent chance if we go for it, and seventy six percent if we don't. I, I screw it. I'll just go for it. It's like you know what's nice? Three points sometimes, especially if you think it's a low scoring game. I don't. Where do you stand on this whole revolution? Yeah, it's, it's tough because I think I think you go into like the Bills. Kansas City game this last week and say, okay, look, three points. I don't know if, and, and they both had that mindset, right? Three points isn't necessarily going to win this game. And Buffalo had to have, go for it that in the fourth quarter. They had to. I, I was yeah. down with that. I'm sure you were too. But there, but there's also times, you know, Baltimore had a decision against Buffalo earlier this year where they decided to go for it, not kick a field goal. Um, mm. And it just, some of these, you know, not just taking into account the other team, but that game is a rainy game, right? There's, there's just, there's conditions, there's other factors where I don't think we can just take the number for the analytics. You know, how is the game going? How is their offense look? How is our defense playing? There are just so many other factors than just the simple 78% chance of winning if we do this, you know, that. I, I, I go to the Denver game that we had on uh, Thursday night where, you know, Russell throws a pick versus Indy on third down because they're trying to get the first down in the end zone at the end of the game. Indy had no business being in that game. I There's know. no way if they just run the ball again, let the clock bleed down and kick a field goal and go up by six that Indy's going to go down and score a touchdown. Just I'm so glad you said that. Yeah, just, just Matt Ryan's not going 85 yards. You kick the shit out of him the entire game. He's got no receivers left. Just take the field goal. Make him go 85 yeah. yards. If he does it, so be it. But then it comes out after the game, Wilson's hurt. So it's like, well, so Wilson was hurt and you still went for it on fourth and one and a half because that doesn't yeah. make sense to me either. No, his his shoulder looked good this week though. Yeah, you think it was a little conditional injury? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I have a question for you about Belichick. Was there ever a game when he just completely picked the butterfly wings off you where you were like, oh my God, wow. this guy demolished me. I don't, I, I have to reevaluate my entire career after this. Yeah, I'm sure early with Buffalo, it was that uh, for sure. But, you know, the, the thing I always, I always love by the end of my career going against Belichick and going against the Patriots because you kind of always knew what you were going to get. Um, you know, the, the cover zero, the man coverage or the soft zone. Um, and you knew they were going to challenge you on every throw. Um, and they were going to try to take away your best guy. And so in, in knowing all those things and trying to scheme against it, uh, it was always fun for me to go into those games, you know, and the, the problem was when, when Tom was there, it was just, you know, so difficult, um, mm. when that offense was going as well to keep up a lot of the time. But, um, I felt like towards the end of my career, um, you know, I, whether it was at the end in Buffalo, uh, in, New York uh, or in Miami, I, I started welcoming that matchup because I really enjoyed playing against him in that defense. Well, what age did your brain pass your body as a quarterback where you were like, oh, I see everything. I at least mentally, I, I, I get it. 
Well, I, I think 2014 was a big year with me. Uh, I was in Houston with Bill O'Brien, and that was the first year I was exposed to the, the New England offense and the New England side of looking at football. Um, so, you're, it. I think it, so you're 32 at that point. Yeah, yeah, 32, and had played, it, it had started a number of years and had a bunch of experience under my belt. Uh, you know, and that's not to say... I figured it out because, you know, it was still so up and down and had the good games and the bad games. Uh, but it's a really hard position to play. And that's why I marvel at some of these guys that are so consistent every year and every game, being able to play at such a high level. All right, we have to go. Give me out of these two teams who are the two co-favorites right now. And we know that's not how it works after week six. One of these teams will bounce and not make the Super Bowl. Philly or Buffalo, if you had to say... One of those teams is bouncing. Which one would you pick? Philly. Yeah, I think I'm with you. Buffalo looks great. I mean, Buffalo's won in both sides of DVOA now, which is like, I don't know if that's happened in well, 10 years. And they've had so many injuries too on defense. And that defense, that scheme is such that they can overcome some of that, which has been pretty incredible. Did you like being on the podcast? Are you going to come back? Loved it. Thank you for having me. We yeah. we we should say we tried to hire you for the ringer and then all of a sudden you're doing Amazon TV. That was it. But I, I wanted <laughs> I thought right. you would be great at podcasting. So the door is always open. If you ever want to be on the ringer team, you say the word. But I'm grabbing you later in the season. You're coming back. All right, appreciate it. See you. All right, good to see you. Thank you. All right, that's it for the podcast. Thanks to Kyle Creighton and thanks to Dylan Burke and Steve Cerruti as well. I will be back on this feed on Thursday. See you then.